0: I think the idea of manhood and womanhood or maleness and femaleness is a concept that is definitely one of tension in our culture. Um, Our culture would say that gender is fluid and anyone that doesn't agree is either a bigot and part of the problem. Um, And so how do we respond when people say those things Uh, for Christians? I know that many of us in this room have wrestled with the idea of gender roles and how that plays out in life and in the church. We're often confused by what's right and what's wrong and frustrated when answers given are hard to digest. So there's a sense of fear when trying to engage non-believers about this topic. What if I say something wrong? What if they think I'm a bigot? What if I don't show Jesus the way that I want to? So because of this, we often shrink back and never address it at all because we're afraid. We feel blocked because we don't have all the answers. And um, another big problem is like this one is that the enemy can use it to block Christians from keeping their eyes on Christ. So we get so sucked down a rabbit hole of questions trying to figure out um, all the right answers and miss Jesus and his mission. It's a slippery slope that I don't want us to go down tonight. I actually went down that slope as I was preparing for this. I was going down all the rabbit holes, trying to figure out what I'm gonna say, what I'm gonna do, and um, it, it bogged me down. It took my eyes off of Jesus. And so I want us to approach the topic tonight in a way that both addresses the question and points us to hope in Christ and his mission for the world. If you aren't a Christian in here, that's okay. Your questions are completely welcome. My goal tonight is to not exhaust every problem and or solution about this, but to just start the conversation. Um,
1: Sorry, Um,
0: where did I go? Yeah, so I wanna start the conversation about maleness and femaleness from a biblical perspective. The question I'm gonna attempt to answer tonight is up there. It says, how is the distinctness of maleness and femaleness still um, relevant in society, in modern society? The question assumes two things. One, that male and female are in fact distinct, and two, that it is relevant. And I want to begin to answer how and why. I'm by no means an expert, like I said before, but I believe God has given me both a passion and a desire to share what I've learned through my experience and research. And I hope it'll be a blessing to you guys. Um, I want you to be able to ask questions at the end, too. And so, with all that to say, I want to pray before before I dive in. Father, um, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for um, just guiding us into all truth by your spirit. Um I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room tonight that doesn't know you, that you would draw them to yourself and that you would help them to see the light of the beauty of the gospel. Um, And I pray for us as Christians that you would strengthen us, that you would give us faith and hope to carry on, to continue the conversation. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we unpack a vision of gender that will help make sense of the world and um, the questions we've asked so far? I believe the answer is in scripture. <laughs> um, surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, God made us and he made us male and female specifically for a good purpose. It's a part of his beautiful design. I want us to dive into Genesis together tonight and see what our creator has to say. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, um, open them to, uh, we're gonna kinda jump in Genesis a little bit in the beginning here. <clears throat> Hi. Um, so Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Um, actually, would someone mind reading that if they have it open?
1: Does it matter what translation?
0: Uh, no, go for it. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 through
2: 28. Okay, I have the uh, NIV, if that's okay. That's fine, yep.
1: Okay. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky,
0: In this, has given both men and women a command to cultivate to cultivate, and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He has specifically commanded them to partner together on mission. This partnership involves both people who are distinct but complement each other. Adam's strengths complement Eve's weaknesses, and Eve's strengths complement Adam's weaknesses. God made them equal in value and purpose, but distinct in nature and so that they could flourish together <clears throat> so let's look at Genesis 2 18 it says then the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone I will make him a helper fit for him <clears throat> so God had just made all of creation the universe the galaxies the stars everything in it he made it all and called it good and then he made Adam and saw that he was alone. Here's what God didn't do. He didn't say, I messed up, man. This this Adam dude, he's not great. And like wipe him completely out. He didn't do that, right? He he saw that Adam was there. He didn't say Adam wasn't good. He said it wasn't good that he was alone. And so um, he recognized that there were certain things that were lacking in man be- so that it wasn't good for him to be alone. He recognized um, that that something lacking could only be met with a helper suitable or fit for him to serve with him and to help him in those areas. She wasn't created primarily to serve the man, but to serve with the man, with the general, with the general call to serve one another. So then this is probably one of my favorite parts. Then in Genesis 2:21, something beautiful happens. After God declared that it wasn't good for the man to be alone, he did something very profound. Rather than starting from scratch, here's what he did. Genesis 2:21 says, So the Lord God ca- caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. God took Adam's rib from his side. This is significant. He took from his side to show that men and women are co-laborers and designed to serve side by side with one another and complement one another's strengths. Where Adam was made from the dust designed to be a protector and provider, women were made from the rib, a part of the body close to the heart, and are by and large more relational and compassionate. God made them equal in value and purpose, again, but distinct in nature, so that they would flourish. And God made it that way for our good and for his glory. After male and female were made, God said it wasn't just good, but it was very good. And it was the first time in all creation that God said something was very good. This is what we would call, we would define as biblical complementarianism. So if all of that happened, if all of that was really good, then, then what happened? Why, if God created man very good, then why is the world, why in the world is this concept so controversial? Why is being distinct as a woman or man condemned in, to, in today's society? Why does society insist that the cultural norm be gender fluidity? And if you don't agree with this, you're a bigot and a hater of equality. Well, Genesis also has something to say about this. Um, in Genesis 2:16 through 17, it says, um, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God had just made Adam and gave him everything. That he could have possibly wanted or needed, and and forbid him one thing, just one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He couldn't eat from that, but he could eat of everything else. And he commanded specific he gave the command specifically to Adam, saying, Don't do this or you'll die. So moving into Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Can I have somebody read that for me actually?
3: Genesis 3, 1 through 6? Yep.
0: And what does this have to do with being female and male? <laughs> That's a question I was asking as I was preparing this. But this is where God, the God-given gender roles broke down forever. God gave Adam the command, and he chose to let his wife be deceived and then follow his wife into sin instead of protecting her by insisting that they not eat of the tree. And Eve chose autonomy, following her own way, instead of listening to the good command of God through her husband, and defending his honor to the serpent. Because man and woman stepped outside of God's command and didn't fulfill the role that he created them for man as protector, provider, and head, and woman as strong helpmate or ezer in the Greek, which means helper, ally, rescuer, or defender man chose to be passive and didn't protect and step up, and woman wasn't his ally or defender because she chose to disobey. So all of creation at this point was changed forever like this was the fall of man as the bible calls it Um, as a result of their sin mankind was separated from god and male and female were cursed by sin Um, genesis 3 16 through 17 i'll go ahead and read that to the woman he said i will surely multiply your pain in childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So there's a lot in this. There's a lot to unpack in, in, a lot, in all of those verses. But the things that I want to kind of hone in on here are, one, um, for Eve, God made it clear that because of sin, her desire would be contrary to her husband or to man, and he shall rule over her. So basically... Because of sin, woman would be willfully inclined to disagree or to do the opposite of man, and then man, because of sin, will then try to dominate her and rule over her. We see that in history. We see men who try to dominate over women through physical and emotional abuse. We see women who constantly tear down men with their words and act contrary to them. We live in a culture that is very quickly going from equality to degrading men in our society. The future is female is a very common statement right now. Adam's curse next. So this is second. So that's just that's just Eve's. This is Adam's. Adam's curse was that now instead of work being a good thing from God, it will now be toils- toilsome and hard. It will be painful for him to work and to provide. God gave him this wonderful role and ease to work and provide before sin. Now it will be a challenge for him. And his temptation will be to not want to work, to not want to provide or protect. Um, we see that in history too. We see that when men refuse to step up to work, to provide, and to lead, society doesn't flourish. According to fatherhood.org, there are 18.3 children in the United States, and one in four of them live without a biological step or adoptive father. And um, this, um, <clears throat> this graphic right here just talks about the implications of how a child is affected when they don't have a father in the home. And so um, you can see, I'm not going to go through and read all of those things. But you can see that it's clear. The point is that when men refuse to step up and and step into the the role that God has called them to, um, bad things happen in society and humans do not flourish together. Um, Let me go back here. Um, And I can pull that up again later if you guys want to see it again. Um, So we can obviously see that there's a problem. Um, culture's response, it seems, is to just scrap gender roles altogether and let people decide what gender to be, or to decide if you even want to claim one. Um, there are even questions: What if I don't feel like a man? What if I don't feel like a woman? People are confused about their identity and don't know which way is up. And people who people who go to the point of gender reconstruction surgery have even claimed they aren't happier. They're more content. They're not more content with who they are. They're actually more confused. My heart goes out to those people, to the gender confused, to the people who have gone to the point of reconstruction surgery who, and those who are asking the questions, these questions and have these thoughts. Um, I don't have all the answers, but I know a God who cares for these people and loves them. I know a God who wants the best, and for them to be secure in their identity. So that's the first problem. It's in culture, right? The second one we see is in the church. So the church hasn't always handled gender roles in a biblical way either. On one side of the spectrum, we have egalitarians who claim women and men can and should operate in the same exact roles in the church. And then we have people who are patriarchal, and the idea of male leadership in the church is abused, both are unbiblical and will lead to destruction. Um, I believe the biblical way is to think about it in the way I mentioned previously with a term called biblical complementarianism. This is the belief that men and women are made in the image of God, equal in value, but have distinct roles for human flourishing. I believe this is the way God intended church to be, brothers and sisters in Christ, partnering together to glorify God by becoming like Jesus and pursuing his mission. I'll say that again. Brothers and sisters in Christ partnering together to glorify God by becoming like Jesus and pursuing his mission. So what do we do then with texts like 1 Corinthians thirteen thirty-four through 35 The woman should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to m- remain quiet. What do we do with those? <laughs> I believe as Christians, we all need to wrestle with those texts. We, um, we need to ask the questions, what was the context of the situation? Why was this being said? Who was the original audience? As I've been preparing this talk, I've had to do some wrestling with myself with these things as a woman. I don't have time to flesh out exactly everything I've discovered. If you want, we can sit down and talk about it over coffee sometime, because I can't do that right now. Um, But um, I can give a general idea of some of the conclusions that I've drawn. And one, is the office of elder and pastor in the church is reserved for men because God designed men to lovingly and sacrificially lead the flock of God in the church and in the home for the sake of human flourishing. Again, I keep saying that a lot. Women are able to lead and participate in other ministries in the church because God made them with unique passions and spiritual gifts to uplift and to help the body thrive. They're called to do it in a way that honors male headship in the church. When men and women partner together in this way for the sake of the mission of God, the church flourishes and society does too. And in life, not just in the church, when w- women use their gifts to uplift and and to come alongside the other people to empower them and strengthen them, and men step into the call to lead and love sacrificially, God is glorified in all of life. So what do we do? We live in a culture that tells us we don't have to be male or female. Some people feel uncomfortable in their bodies as either male or as female and don't know what to do. I believe the answer is that we have to turn to Jesus. How is he the better answer to the questions that culture and the church are asking? When culture is resistant to maleness and femaleness, they're trying to find an identity. They're looking for something to define them but Jesus offers a better identity Jesus says in Galatians 3:28, there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus Jesus isn't saying that male and female don't exist that's what we're literally talking about <laughs> for the whole talk um, I looked at that and laughed. I was like, wait, I'm literally like defending maleness and femaleness, and then it says this. But, but no, he's not scrapping it. He's saying the identity of male and female is real. It just isn't primary. There's a more significant identity that Christ gives to a person than what's between your legs. What he's saying here is that we are all one in him by not finding your primary identity in your gender you will find that you can express it in a way that leads to human flourishing you are made in his image but as we've said as as i said before we were separated from him because of sin and in his life in his death and in his resurrection you can have a new identity that anchors you in christ by turning from your sin and turning towards Christ, you ha- you can have hope. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come." Christ fulfilled everything that we couldn't. When man fails to lovingly lead, Christ didn't. He lovingly went to the cross and died for us. When a woman fails to sacrificially help lead, Christ didn't. He submitted to the Father even though he was fully God himself. As we embrace this new identity in Christ, we can live more fully and without fear in our maleness and femaleness. As Christ becomes our primary identity, we are free to live in a way that glorifies him and honors him. And he will give us every single everything that we need to live out our secondary identity as male and female. Matthew 6, says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. As we seek God, as we seek Christ to become like him, he gives us, he gives us the freedom to be able to live and act as we were created to be, as either male or female. And there's so much freedom in that. So while the distinctness of maleness and femaleness is relevant to modern society because it was God's idea from the beginning it was never meant to be the primary thing that we look to to make sense of the world or ourselves that's freeing you guys like that is praise god so in a world broken by sin how do we live in light of that new in light of that new identity in Christ and recover the maleness and femaleness Of the Garden of Eden that was very good first Corinthians 10 31 says so whether you eat or whatever you whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God your primary question should be don't miss this I feel like if you don't if you forget everything that I said tonight don't forget this your primary question should be how does what I am doing glorify God if that isn't the primary question you're asking then you are not asking in a way you are you are asking in a way that someone who isn't redeemed by Jesus is asking I think Matthew 9 12 also speaks to this for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have been made who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven let the one who is able to receive this receive it. A eunuch a eunuch, for those of you who who don't know, I don't think I really even knew what this is. I was I had to research it, but a eunuch was a man who had been castrated. So he didn't have any male parts. So he had nothing like male right about him other than of other biological things. So who was he then? So if society says that Um, being male, is that, and other things, and, like, what was his identity? He was still a man, but his identity primarily wasn't in that. If you're uncomfortable with your gender tonight, run to the one who is your primary source of identity and let him inform you of your secondary identity. Run to the one. Even if you're not uncomfortable in your gender, run to him. Because he will help you, he will inform you, and give you grace to know how to live that out. So there's much more that we could say about all these things. And my hope is that you guys and myself would continue to um, ask the hard questions and keep wrestling with these things, even after we leave this room. I hope that if you are in this room and you haven't made Jesus your primary identity, that you will turn to him. And I hope that the fact that maleness and femaleness is not your primary identity, but second, will free you. That as male and female, we can glorify God together by embracing our identity in Christ, which gives us freedom to live as God created us, as partners in the gospel, to love and to serve one another for the building up of the body of Christ and for human flourishing. That's it. I'd love for you guys to ask questions.
1: So.
3: Thank you.
0: Julia.
4: Um, so this is kind of like a personal scenario slash question. Um, so in one of my classes, I have an individual who goes by they, them. Yeah. So, and their natural gender is female. Mm -hmm. So I guess I, like, I just don't talk to them just because, like, just how the class is set up. Like, there's not much time for discussion and they're very, very introverted and whatever. So I guess in the future or even now, what is. What is something, or how would I address that? Obviously not, like, up front, but, like, eventually, like, what, how how would that be addressed?
0: Like, how would you address them as a person? Or... I
4: mean, yes, but also, like, obviously, you know, God has given us gender. Right. Like, that is something that he gave us. We're not just beings. I mean, like you mentioned in Genesis, there's a reason why you and I are female and you know, there's males, like, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, (laughs) there's a reason, but like, I guess for this, you know, is it the question of, you know, why? Or I guess like, Mm -hmm. how, how would I go about asking questions or addressing things Mm -hmm. to kind of bring it back to, you know, what's right, Mm -hmm. I guess.
0: That's a good question. I think it depends a lot on your relationship with this person um, and the context of which you're addressing it. Um, So let's say, for example, like you're friends with this person and, and you're like, oh, let's go get coffee and let's talk about it. Uh, or let's not talk about it, but just, like, talk and get to know each other or whatever. I think if this person asks you, like, hey, what do you think about me being, me having different pronouns or thinking or saying that I'm a male if I'm a female? Is that the case? They're saying they're a male, but they're a female? Or yeah, vice versa? They're
4: they're a they-them. They they're a they-them. They-them.
0: Okay. If they ask about your opinion, I think that's, that's the opportunity for you to say, hey... Like, I believe that the Bible does say that um, there is male and female. Um, But it's kind of like what I was saying. Like, if they're not a Christian, the primary thing they need is the gospel. They need Christ. They need to find their first identity in him. And then they will let Jesus inform their secondary identity. Um, But... If the question is, how do, do I address them as they, them, as a Christian, that's a hard one. I still don't know how I feel about that. And so I can't stand up here and say, I don't tell you what to do with that. I think that's something that you are going to have to decide within your own heart of like, what do I feel comfortable with? And how can I respect this person as being made in the image of God? I think that's where wisdom comes in as well. Um, and so does that answer I hope that answers your question a little bit yeah Okay. does anyone else have anything I have a comment yeah
5: it's interesting like you had said how would I address someone who identifies differently than how God designed mean them to be I'm like sitting here contemplating like what would have Jesus done if he went to a person on the street and they said I identify as a they then mm-hmm. what what would he have said to them? Hmm. Like, that's kind of what I'm contemplating.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Does anyone have thoughts on that? What would Jesus say to them?
4: I think, personally, there's, like, two possibilities. One, he would say they, them, because he wants to build a relationship with them and love them. Mm -hmm. But then, he could also pull the route of, when there was the, um, lady who was an adulteress or whatever, yeah. that, like, I don't want to say he, like, exposed her, but, like, he showed to her that he was God, and, like, he knew everything about her. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, he talked about her sins, but, like, you know, no one else knew about that, and so I guess he could almost have
5: the same revelation with too. yeah yeah like in that same situation he said like I see you for who you are now mm-hmm. but that's not who you were created to be mm-hmm. like yes. in the same context
0: yeah and he's saying he's like I love you like wherever you're at in this moment I love you and I care for you and I'm I'm meeting you here but that's not where you're meant to stay
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's because he loves he loves us too much To leave us there.
2: That's where I think, like, I almost use the they, them pronouns at first just so it doesn't hinder the relationship. Sure, yeah. eventually you have to assert absolute truth. Absolutely. Like, otherwise you're not loving that person. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Like, in Nick's sermon, I don't know how many of you guys were there, but he was talking about being lovingly bold like being bold in a way that shows the dignity of the person and that shows the love that you and God have for that person, but um, doesn't disregard the truth of the gospel because the truth of the gospel is actually freedom. We have to remember that. And people don't see it like that. People don't see it as freedom, but it is.
6: I guess they definitely approach it I probably approach them with gentleness. Yeah. Especially at first if, if you're just getting to know them. And something that I've realized is uh, it's a lot better to state your faith to them um, than to assert it. Um, especially yeah. if it's in, at the beginning uh, stages of a relationship so that it's kind of implied um, yeah. your beliefs. Yeah. yeah. About you know, transgender, um, etc. You know, when you when you when you openly state your your faith, it's 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 almost implied. So it comes off in a very gentle manner.
0: Absolutely. And and what do we do? This is a question that I've been thinking about a lot, um, and I would love for you guys to help me answer it. But what do we do when we're sitting across the table from somebody and they are like, "I'm transgender. Am I going to hell? How do we respond?
5: So I had a similar situation happen to me probably a month and a half ago-ish. I have a friend who is identifies as a lesbian. And we talked on the phone for about an hour because she was picking my brain about, like, what do you think about my sexual identity? What Like, am I going to hell? What are your beliefs? Because I had explained to her, like, in short, what they were about going into, like, Scripture in extreme detail, but then I realized that that caused miscommunication and it caused misunderstanding. And so I basically got to like preach the entire entire gospel to her. And maybe that's not what you would do to like someone you don't, you barely know, and maybe it's you would. I don't know, it would depend on the context of the situation and how comfortable you are Mm -hmm. uh, or where the Holy Spirit is calling you. But in order to be clear and concise and show truly the love of Jesus, I sat I had to sit there and explain the entire gospel to her and what sin was and how Jesus sees her and use scripture to back it up. Yeah. Because if I I started the conversation by just kind of, I don't want to say dancing around it, but like trying to use simplicity for her understanding. And it was only causing more confusion. I had to start pulling from Scripture.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Julia.
5: Um,
4: Yeah, no, that's definitely to here, Madeline. Um, And I think another thing, too, is something that I've... Like, this is a personal thing, too, and I think all Christians can learn this, too, is God forgives us and, like, gives us new mercies, but we have to repent and ask for that Mm -hmm. and we have to see that what we did wrong is sin Mm -hmm. so like a prime example is you know if I have a problem with lying and talking about people behind their backs obviously that's wrong God doesn't want us to do that Mm -hmm. but if I keep doing that and like maybe not as much but I don't recognize it as a sin Mm. then, you know, that, that's not a forgiven sin because I have not repented that. I have not given it to God. Mm. But God forgives me, but I have to repent of that sin. Mm. And I think it can kind of go in the same boat as, especially just different sexualities and just identifying as a different gender. Yeah. Like, if you repent of that, you're not, like, you're not going to hell. I mean, there's people, there's a book called, like, um, gay girl, good God, that, yeah, this girl, like, you know, she was gay, and then, you know, she's a Christian and an influencer now, Mm -hmm. but obviously you can't do anything about the sin that you already did, that's just in the past, I mean, you can wish everything in the world for that to be changed, but when you repent of that sin, that's, your, your slate is, I mean, your slate is already clean, but, you know. You repented of that. You're giving that up, mm-hmm. and so if you live at the fact that you know what I'm doing is okay, even though in Scripture it says that it's wrong, that's when it's that's right. when it's a problem.
0: Yeah, it's good. So I I like the kind of the combination of what both of you said of just like you know this person needed <laughs> this person needed the gospel at its very core. Like she needed to understand what sin was. And how to follow Jesus. Um, and then she also, like, if she doesn't, if she, if her question is, Am I going to hell? Then the answer is, n- We all deserve hell. But if we repent of our sin and turn towards Christ and receive the forgiveness of sin by grace, we get to go to heaven, we get to be with God. And, and so I think the way that we talk about this with them, with people, is like, I think something that could be helpful, this is something that just came to my mind, is um, sharing about your own struggles with sin. Because sin is sin. Like, whether it's homosexuality, or whether it's having sex outside of marriage, or whether it's getting angry at your roommate or whatever it is. It's like that's sin is sin. And so I think it's definitely good to talk about like, hey, I did this in my past or I I did this, but but the difference is that I have now been joined to Christ and now my record was put on him on the cross and his record was put on me, sinless and holy. And now I get to be with God and um, so that could help too just to add like another layer of just being relational and like because Jesus was relational I mean he experienced the brokenness of the world so that he could sympathize with us and our weaknesses so we can't we can't pretend that we're any better than anyone
1: yeah
4: um I know we'll have a I think we'll have a talk later in the semester about, like, sexuality and homosexuality and just, like, addressing that and whatever. But I guess I know in the church, especially, like, in the church that I grew up, because, you know, it was a smaller town, primarily Mm -hmm. white people, you know, um, whatever. But um, I think a lot of the times there was the problem of just having this negative... Horrible view of LGBTQ people, of queer people, of like that just like that and like sex out of marriage and like losing your purity, like those were the worst things possible. Like if you ever did those outside of like after high school, whatever, like what is wrong with you? Like you deserve mm-hmm. hell.
3: Um,
4: so I guess I know that well, especially like our church, we're not, you know, we don't have that mindset, but I know a lot of churches do. Mm -hmm. So I guess how, how is a way that we can turn our vision and just our perspective on people like that, that they're not, Mm -hmm. and I know it's easier said than done, Mm -hmm. but I mean, like you said earlier, I mean, a sin is a sin. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah i think josh did you have something
2: yeah yeah. go i think i think we really need to get a better understanding of what sin is Mm -hmm. um right because i think when we understand that it's anything that goes against what god's will like for ultimate like good creation is i think that maybe clears up the muddy waters where it's not just some terrible atrocious act that i've makes me a garbage person, right? It's anything and everything that is against God's ultimate plan for good. Um, So that could be something as little or big as you want to make it in your head. How you identify your identity in and of itself isn't what makes you good or bad, right? In your nature, you have that sin nature. I think, first and foremost, I think Our church and our generation needs to get a better idea of what sin is so we can properly address it and help other people confront what it is. Because if I'm sitting across the table from someone who says, I'm a girl, but they're very clearly a guy, God still loves them and their misunderstanding of that doesn't, that's not what sends them to hell. It's their sin that sends them to hell. And that misunderstanding is just one part of that brokenness that God wants to fix. Um, mm. And I think we need to, before we can help other people overcome that, I think we need to get over that ourselves um, yeah. get a better understanding of what sin and the gospel is for us before we can actually help
3: other people. Uh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I, Tyler. I have like a thing that's like the other side of what you're talking about, yeah. which is like the way... What I've found has really finally, like, made sense to a lot of my friends who are not Christians and who have a lot of lostness with these kinds of issues is when one day I finally explained to them, like, look, like, the choices people have this understanding, mis- there's this misunderstanding both in the church and in the world that like being a Christian is a set of lifestyle choices. Like it's, it's a way of being a type of person. Yeah. And that's the way a lot of people, and I think there are like people who think they are Christians and think that they are Christians because of their lifestyle choices. Like I think we all have met those people, right? Um, but the fact is that like biblically the choices you make, the choices, or at least for me, the choices that I make with my gender and my body and sex and dating and all these things, they come from the starting point of all that is my faith. Mm. Like, it's useless to go into all the all these big, and the thing is, is that Satan is using the fact that this is a hot topic mm. to get people to only talk about this with us. Mm. That's the problem. Mm. Mm.
2: And he wants us to get into the weeds and not get to the root of the issue. Okay? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and I think that's, like, the biggest reason why I I wanted to, like, put out there that that's one of the common problems, is that we can get so caught up in the questions we're asking that we miss the point, we miss the gospel, because, like, the enemy wants to use it against us, he does, Um, and I think to even piggyback off of what both of you were saying, I think the thing that we need is to cultivate a heart of humility in ourselves. Like, it doesn't start with those people over there or that church over there. It starts with us. And so the more we cultivate a heart of humility that says, I don't know better than anyone else. Like, the, like, Scripture teaches no one does good not even one period it's like we we can't do good apart from christ um and we have to cultivate a humility that says i deserve hell but i don't get that because of jesus and i think that that is what will draw people to the faith is that and um as we love each other with that sort of humility, um, I think that is—I think that is probably the remedy for for what your question was, at least in part. Anyone have anything else? Any other questions or comments?
3: Oh, I wanna talk about something that doesn't, I don't think gets enough attention. Okay. Is that, so we're talking about, you talked about how the in the fall, the gender roles got mixed up and that was one of the contributing factors, right?
0: Yeah. yeah.
3: I think, so I was an English major and had to sit through a lot of classes reading a lot of guys from the 17th century really going on about how Eve ruined everything. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, there was a whole
0: semester. No that
3: seventeen hundred dudes, seventeen hundred dudes going, Eve ruined everything. <laughs> what are we do and more? that's why you should sit down and be quiet
2: and have no rights no.
3: and all these things. And like straight up like I had to read that passage of the Bible and like study it in a class one time, and it like made me totally question my faith. I was like, "Am I in a season? cult where that oppresses women this whole time? What's happening?" Mm-hmm. And I, I called my sister; I was in a crisis, and <laughs> and <laughs> obviously I'm still here. Um, but, <laughs> but praise God. Uh, <laughs> for real, right? Um, but something that got me out of that crisis was when it hit me that something that gets ignored like quite a lot of the time is how like the sin that Eve committed when she didn't trust God and went off and did her own thing. People like Mary and Mary Magdalene and the woman at the well all do the opposite. Like womanhood got redeemed, and nobody talks about it.
1: And we can see the proof right now because the world is made by men and it's a disaster. Mm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But if we partner together, you guys, if we partner together, I genuinely think it gets better. Mm. It gets better. Because it it, it can't and it shouldn't be only men. And it can and it shouldn't only be women. Yeah, we have, we have unique gifts and abilities that the other doesn't, and it's it's a beautiful thing.
2: It really is. Like I'm seeing at my own like career, right, and seeing how like there's people who are more vocationally skilled at certain things that I'm not at. That's not a bad thing. That doesn't make me less of a person. It doesn't mean that I couldn't force myself to do it and still get it done. Mm. It just yeah
0: yeah and as you were talking I was thinking also about what Mary Tyler said about how womanhood is redeemed and you think about how um, all of those instances that you mentioned like the why behind why they were redeemed and it was because they pursued their primary identity in Jesus and so it's like right right he pursued them first and then they obeyed and yeah and I just I just think that's really cool like in Christ like we can live and thrive in this like in this freedom of like getting to be children of God and get to use the the unique gifts that God has given us as male and female I think it's I think it's beautiful
2: I think that really drives home the fact that what we're missing out on isn't this like 17th century idea of heaven and hell yeah. Right? It's relationship with God. Yeah. Right? Like the reason there's biblical manhood and womanhood is because it's part of our relationship with the God. creator God yeah. of the universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like going to hell isn't you didn't pay all your debt in time. Screw you. It's <laughs> you decided you don't want a relationship with me. Yeah. So you yeah. don't get a relationship with
5: yeah,
2: yeah. yeah right yeah. like I, I I'm giving you what you want uh, you said you don't want to be with me so here you go right yeah yeah whereas heaven is okay you've acknowledged that I want a relationship with you and you want to reciprocate that let's have a relationship again yeah and that's what heaven's supposed to be and that's that's the redeemed thing that you were talking about with womanhood right where it's like these women are no longer trying to like run away and reject the relationship they're trying they're embracing it fully um, mm. I think when we it's when good we, when we can do that as a society and help other people see that like, that's what this heaven and hell thing is right like yeah. you're not going to hell because or even what hell what you think hell is might be wrong right
3: mm, yeah that's yeah Dante and Milton <laughs> <laughs>
6: Mm. caused so many out? problems. <laughs> <laughs> when I think like
5: each of us can see that dynamic in like any one of our testimonies, like we finally realized what disobeying God truly was and sought otherwise we sought a relationship with Jesus instead yeah.
0: thank you guys for engaging in this with me and I would yeah I just would love to continue the conversation like keep keep talking about it because I think like this it it needs to start with the people of God Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it has to Um, and it's like on Sunday mornings it's like we (laughs) that's why we do late nights I think because on Sunday mornings it's hard to address like Certain topics, right? Because we're just Nick's just preaching out of the Bible, right? And reading and taking that for what it is. So, I think I think this space is it has just been really valuable for me. So, um, yeah. So
6: I, I have one more quick question. I'm sorry to interrupt. But no, please. Um, I was just wondering what you guys think about um, LGBTQ pride and, and the movement mm. um, because I, I've I've gone to many churches that. Um, Condemn the movement and admonish it um, because you know, <laughs> yeah. um, time, um, although, you know homosexuality is a sin. But um, at the same time, although homosexuality is a sin, being open about who you are, um, I think, mm-hmm. and and being bold about who you are, I think is much more important than uh, being a sinner behind closed doors because. Mm-hmm you know, if, 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 if you're doing this or that, you know, like, if, if for example, if, if you're, if you're stealing or if you're, um, um, just submitting to your sinful nature and not telling anybody about it, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, it's, you're not gonna get wise advice. And I, yeah. and I think, and I think in the pride movement, it's, and I, I really think it's, it's, Almost admirable being being bold about yourself and being open to criticism, mm-hmm. um, as they are. Now I was wondering what you guys think about that.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, there's not a lot of openness to criticism. That's the yeah, that's, that, that's, that's what, true. That's, that's what, a what, good point. I, I understand that's what you're good. saying. I, I do think people. I think a lot of people have this idea in their heads that like, back in the '50s, none of this was happening. Yeah, it was happening, but people were not no one able to. to exactly. Right? exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, I see what you're saying, but I do think yes. like it's complicated. Yeah. Um, you kind of emphasize
5: the movement of pride, like they have a phrase like love wins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the movement itself, maybe not necessarily the individual person, the group of people have a misunderstanding about what love truly is because they see it as an, They misunderstand it as first off. And then they take that misunderstanding and make it into an identity. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: I think there's a difference between accepting someone who struggles with a sin, be it uh, their habitual arsonist, right? Like, Let's say, like, I just can't stop starting fires, (laughs) Um, you know? Um, There's a difference between welcoming that person and saying, hey, regardless of that fact, Like, I still love you and care about you. There's a difference between that and openly celebrating and not calling someone into something that could be better for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, if, if it's something you struggle with, I should be willing to acknowledge and love you and even be uncomfortable with that with you, right? But also, I should be willing to fight alongside you and encourage you in your fight for what God's good image and plan for life is. So um, I know there's lots of people who like Jack Little Perry um, or others who, if they struggle or are more prone to same-sex attraction, right, um, that does not define them. right? They should be able to be open about that struggle in their life in the church right? But there's a difference between saying, okay, I struggle with this, I need help with it, and okay, let's celebrate this thing, because I'm not going to come to church as a pedophile and ask people to celebrate that, and I know that that's a hard core example, but let's say, you know, uh, what is it when somebody just steals stuff all the time? Kleptomaniac. Kleptomaniac. Mm-hmm. No one's going to celebrate that, and I wouldn't want them to celebrate that. I would want mm-hmm. them to help me in that. Yeah, like I think that's where the difference is. Where it can be dangerous to be putting up a pride flag on your church because it's not that I don't love you. It's that because I love you, I want I want what's best for you, and I think that what's best for you is different than what you think is what's best, Mm -hmm. right? Because what I think what's best for you isn't defined by what I think. It's defined by what the Bible says. And I therefore believe is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and walking that tension is hard, but I think sometimes the best way to do that is to not put on blast, like, we accept everyone, just for the sake of, I think, what is it? It starts with P. Uh, progress? Progressivism?
1: Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I'm not just going to do that for the sake of progress, um, I'm going to love and accept you if you open up about it, awesome, but I'm not going to also bar you from entry at the same time. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and if someone comes into the church and says, I'm homosexual, like, help me. We, that, we, that's what we want, right? Like, I have this desire... I need you, like, what do I do with it? What do I, how do I deal with this? Like, come, like, come into the church and, and, and seek answers, seek help from the church because um, I think it's kind of like one of the points I said, like, our identity isn't in our sexual orientation. It's not in, my identity isn't in the fact that I like men. My identity is not in the fact that, even that I'm a female, it's in the fact that I am a child of God made in his image. And so I think it, when we think about it like that and we think about the pride movement, it's like, I think we can, we can recognize as the church that every single person who is homosexual or transgender or whatever else in the movement We can recognize that every person is made in the image of God and they deserve like they have dignity and they have value and they they deserve respect and honor like but like Josh said, but we can't celebrate the sin. We just can't. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah. like far too easily, yes. um, and I think if we, we assert that, hey, I see you as more than what you're championing as your identity, uh, yep that's, that's a hard thing to say, but I think that might be the most loving thing to say, is like, hey, mm-hmm. I, if you take the time to find something in them more than just their identity, that is valuable to actually be able to mean what you say and back up, like, hey, I see you as more than just your transgenderism, right? Yeah. You're going to actually have legitimate empathy for them, actually care for them, yeah, and mm-hmm. actually be able to help them and see them as a whole person, not just their identity, in some way that they may not have even. And you're also going to be sure. challenged to wrestle through tough questions that they're asking, like, too. So it, it helps both parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not something I
1: think we should shy away from.
6: Yeah.
1: Uh, my other mm-hmm. church, walk walking, so we have this couple, the lesbians, they come to church like every week, but uh, they are afraid to talk to people because they think they are sinners, So and I don't know what other people think, but I always go and talk to them. Um, but not everybody talks. Uh, so like, I think if uh, we need to include those persons, is really important because you know, we can. So, on Chrome. so regardless of what they believe like you know, their status. So, I don't know if they're going to change it, but they keep on coming, like past few years, I've seen them. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, so they keep on coming to church. Uh, yeah, and then people, they don't have much friends, and like and they don't come to other gatherings and stuff. Uh, but past talks, um, and, and I think I, I haven't talked about it because it's to the talk. Yeah. <laughs> so, what he thinks about it. So, um, yeah, I think we need to accept everyone um, in church, right? So and, and let them listen to God's word, and that we should we should mingle with them, right, yeah. regardless of their status. Yeah. So I think that will definitely help. But maybe they might even change, right? Who knows, right? And yeah. In the future, I think our people like. Really and I think when we do that, I see like how they look at others, you know, like the kind of, you know, I don't know. I mean, they don't even feel like talking to you. Yeah. 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 I, I, I feel sad. You know? yeah. yeah. I feel like there's the
2: spirit of like competition and competitiveness of like, if I can convert them back to traditional values, like I've won, that doesn't mean that they're saved. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. There's so yeah.
2: much more than that. Yeah.
5: Well, and it makes me wonder, like you you specifically noted that they're afraid to talk to people and then that other people don't necessarily want to talk to them either. Mm-hmm. Is that lack of conversation preventing them from hearing the true gospel Yeah. and yeah. understanding the true gospel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if it's, I'm not sure how big your church is, but if it's even of any substantial size, it may be very easy for them to slip in and slip out and yeah. not they may have been coming for years without having questions answered, without fleshing yes. out struggles, without bringing sin to light. Like there could be so many things that could be keeping them from knowing the truth.
1: Yeah, this is a pretty small church, like 20, 30 people. You know, like, so people know each other really well. But these girls, once their sermon is done, they sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, I, I agree yeah. with you. It. Uh, maybe they, they have no idea. I don't yeah. know what's the reason yeah. because people don't even accept them. I don't see that much. Interesting.
6: Wow.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I think... Sorry,
2: did I interrupt you? Second Peter, I don't remember the verse, right? God is not slow.
1: I, I try to talk, they don't talk much, you know, I, and I see seen pastors try to talk and they just leave. Maybe they don't want to talk about anything, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. maybe they're in yeah. Yes. yeah.
0: I think, like, as long as they continue to come, yeah. it's kind of like, just continue to talk to them, even if they don't want to, <laughs> like, yeah. just, like, ask questions, get to know them, like, Continue to pursue.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is me
1: love. Like, hey, I have yet, but like, just eat this, that
2: the was good. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
1: it's
0: so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, these are good things to talk about. They're hard. It's hard. I mean, I think even in my own heart, I, I you know, wrestle with just like, you know, want, you know, wanting to say the right thing and not wanting to say too much of one thing and not enough of the other. And just, but I think the Lord is gracious with us in our desire to make him known in a way that is loving. And when we fail, he is gracious us so I'm grateful for that Um, and I think something too that I've been thinking about is in our failures to love people the way that Christ has called us to I think can often exalt Christ even more um, because we then have an opportunity to go to that person and say, hey, I'm sorry, I failed. I didn't love you well. And they can then see Christ in that. And I think that's beautiful.